Next, uh, next Sunday is uh, called the Feast of All Saints, uh, where churches traditionally offer time to remember those who have passed on. Um, so nearby and otherwhere, so to speak. Um, so we're, we're going to actually use our All Saints um, observance next Sunday to include the many disruptions and losses we have experienced during this pandemic so far. Uh, that service will feature um, something called a litany of lament, perhaps an unfamiliar term since we live in a, in a lament avoidant society. I think, I think we'd reached like 100,000 COVID deaths um, a, a, a quite a while back before there was like any national recognition at all. I think there was a directive from the White House to you know, put the flag at hat mast or something like that. So it's just not something that our society is very good at. So I think this next Sunday is going to be important. Em Emily has been collecting our responses to the handouts that are, have been provided for the last month uh, through the emails, uh, mostly to, if you get the Zoom invites or our pastor's update, you've been getting those emails with the handouts about um, your experience during this uh, period of time. And the, the point of that is just give us a sense of how the pandemic has affected us in so many different ways, depending on our, our circumstances, so that we can acknowledge the losses and the consolations that we've experienced uh, during this time along the way. Uh, it's it's still time. There's still time to contribute to that if you haven't uh, done so already. If you're if you're not one for handouts, you can just send Emily an email saying here's a loss or a difficulty that really affected me this year, and or here's an example of an unexpected consolation or blessing over the past year too. So th these are not for like we're not going to be like reading them, uh, you know, for public consumption. I'm sure if Emily wanted to do that, she'll get permission from the person first, but it's really just to give us a sense of the whole range of experiences that we've had. Uh, by the way, if you're tuning in virtually uh, next Sunday, you're invited to bring a candle to light as a memorial candle. It's an important part of the All Saints um, service. And if you're attending the in-person service, memorial candles will, uh, will be there in the social hall for you already. I grew up, um, I grew up in the wake of like, you know, massive tragedies of the last half of the 20th century that no one really talked much about. Like Holocaust survivors kept their pain to themselves as did returning uh, war vets. Uh, all of that kind of silence was compounding my country's inability to reckon honestly with its white supremacy, crimes against indigenous people, really big, big, um, wounds in our national experience. And in my little cultural uh, bubble growing up on the northwest side of the city of Detroit, the basic approach to death, uh, like a death in the family, say, was some version of, well, they're in a better place, best not to dwell on your loss, which would be great if it worked. Um, scripture offers um, some refreshing alternatives to this particular uh, script in dealing with, with losses. Uh, today, I want to consider Exhibit A and Exhibit B uh, in that alternative understanding. Exhibit A is the, the whole book of Psalms. 
there are many psalms of lament. There are 150 psalms in the book of songs, and uh, many of them are psalms of lament. So here, here's an example from Psalm, uh, kind of a mashup of Psalm uh, 12 and 13. How long must I bear in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. May the Lord cut off all lying lips. Those who say, with our tongues we will prevail, our lips are our own. Because the poor are despoiled, because the needy groan, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which they long kind of a typical song of lament in the Psalms. I, I guess 100 out of 150 Psalms refer to the suffering induced by enemies. So even though it's from a very ancient culture, um, the focus not, is not on famine, it's not on drought, it's not on plagues. There's really not that much about illness in the Psalms. And, and when it's mentioned, it's often, often uh, combined with mention of enemies who are mistreating people in their illness, uh, mostly the anguish is caused by enemies in the Psalms, including the most painful kind, uh, the betrayal of friends who become enemies. And, and it's enemies in the broadest sense, like the whole range of hostilities, not just physical threats to life and limb. So as you read the Psalms, you notice it's all pretty raw. It's like unvarnished. There is no attempt to be balanced or nuanced in the expression of pain and anguish. It's like the psalmists know that we humans have a basic need to express our distress without all that like equivocating, expressing pain and suffering the way it's actually experienced when we lack sleep and we're running on empty. Re reading the psalms over many years and and noticing my own reaction to those laments, like, gee, that's a little bit over, overboard, isn't it? Has, has helped me understand that I have this need too, to express my suffering the way I actually experience it and not the way I think I'm supposed to experience it. So these ancient writings, um, the, the Psalms in particular, offer a kind of tacit permission to be more real about suffering than, than I learned in my upbringing. So m maybe some of you can relate. I don't assume all of you do, but the main strategy I learned for dealing with suffering was to minimize it, mostly by incessantly reminding myself that others had it so much worse than I do. It was like a mantra. Uh, Brene Brown, the, the researcher at the University of Houston, has a term for this approach. Uh, she calls it comparative suffering. I'm, I'm quoting from a summary, an online summary of a podcast of uh, Brene Brown's that I listened to on comparative suffering. It says, Brown recently spoke of comparative suffering in relation to the current COVID-19 pandemic. She noted that when people operate from a place of fear and scarcity, there are, they are more vulnerable to comparative suffering. For example, people work from home might compare themselves to workers on the front lines and decide that they don't deserve to complain. 
when people assess their own suffering and decide it doesn't measure up to others, they block their natural reactions to events, including the feelings they have. So yeah, that's key. They block the feelings they have. That means the feelings don't metabolize. They don't like pass through as they naturally would. They, they, they park in our bodies to quietly fester. And here's a corollary um, to um, the effects of this comparative suffering strategy. Comparative suffering also makes people inhibit natural ways of celebrating a success. Of course, that backfires too, because celebrating our successes makes us actually more resilient when dealing with our failures and our misfortunes. So in other words, like the ancient cultures that produced the Bible, I mean, totally, they normalized some really bad stuff that we, we now know is bad, but they also had some healthier approaches to being human than characterizes our modern society. So, for example, in the Psalms, the only comparative suffering that I can, I can think of in the Psalms is the complaint, Lord, why don't the arrogant, uh, wicked suffer like the rest of us? Why do they get off so easy? So it's the opposite. You're looking at others and saying, how come they got off so easy? Instead of, oh, well, they suffer more than me. And, and you never hear a prayer in the Psalm that goes, oh, Lord, I'm hurting bad. So remind me to remember others are worse off than I am, so I should count my blessings. Next Sunday, I think we'll have maybe a more meaningful litany of lament if we begin with the intention to leave aside comparing our suffering over the past 18 months with the suffering of others. It's just not helpful. It doesn't make us more sensitive to the suffering of others even. It, it just, it's just something we use to deaden our feeling and you know sometimes that is necessary but we easily overdo it so if exhibit a is the psalms exhibit b is today readings from uh reading from the letter to the galatians so galatians is among the earliest writings we have from the early jesus movement uh, uh when it was rooted in ancient judaism we know it's written by paul uh, probably around 50 uh, CE. So, so it's earlier um, by a considerable number of years than the four gospels, whose authors, except maybe for Luke, who was probably an associate of Paul, um, the authors of the gospels are, are actually unknown to us. We don't know who's, who's writing. There are inferences, there's scholarship about it, but it's, it's really not known. But but with the undisputed letters of Paul, it's uh, six of them that bear his name. Um, not all of them that bear his name, but in it, Galatians is one of the undisputed letters. I mean, Paul wrote this letter and he wrote it early. And he's writing to gatherings of Jesus followers, mostly Jewish, but in the region of Galatia, um, where there's a lot of non-Jews who are, who are getting drawn into this um, following Jesus. It's, it's clear these Gentiles know that they are participating in like a fundamentally Jewish movement. Paul, Paul is right in the thick of this new development, and he's got no understanding that he's writing what will later be guard, regarded as scripture. I'm, I'm sure he would have made some adjustments if, if he were, but, but he's writing in a very Jewish way because he's 
comfortable with paradox as evidence in our reading today, which I think might be helpful as a background for our time together next Sunday. So our reading um, that Avery offered to us from Galatians chapter 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, all must test their own work, then that work rather than their neighbor's work will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own loads. So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ is paradoxically paired with, for all must carry their own loads. <laughs> Very different realities. Um, with this testing our own work portion in the middle of that paradoxical pairing. So what's going on here? Well, the summary of the law that Jesus adopted, it was just a very common thing in his, in his era for rabbis and teachers and sages to be asked, you know, how would you summarize Torah? How would you summarize the law? And Jesus' summary is one that echoed another well-known rabbi of his era. I think uh, Hillel died shortly after Jesus was born, famous uh, rabbi of that period. Um, Jesus' summary of the law was love your neighbor as yourself uh, from Leviticus chapter 19. It seems like Jesus was so fond of it or emphasized it so much that it came to be regarded by his followers as the law of Christ. So the first part of the paradox is obvious. We can lighten each other's loads in all sorts of ways. We can help each other. We can send meals when a new baby is born or someone is newly grieving a heavy loss. We, we, we can do like simple gestures of love that actually make a bigger difference than we realize. We can, we can express empath, empathy instead of the chippy look on the bright side. Um, when, when we acknowledge another person's pain, we ease it for them. We, we don't make it worse. And in all these ways and many more, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. These ordinary acts are spiritual deeds. So the first part of the paradox is like a shared sorrow is a lightened one. But bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ is paired with for all must carry their own loads. So we can lighten each other's loads, but each has their own load to carry. Um, the second part of the paradox, it's, it too is as obvious as the first part. If I have insomnia, you can't say, oh, well, I'm a good sleeper. I'll go take, take a nap for you right now, help you out. We can share our loads and the sharing lightens them, but there is also an aloneness to suffering. Paul is kind of dancing with the same wisdom Brene Brown's research is uncovering um, that she describes as the folly of comparative suffering. The fact that someone else has a heavier load than we do doesn't make our load an ounce lighter for us, for all must carry their own loads. Both realities are true at the same time. There's a real aloneness in all of our suffering but we can bear each other's burdens and, and lighten them in the process. Now, just to keep the Brene Brown uh, thing rolling here, uh, remember the other way comparative suffering works in that um, summary that I quoted earlier. 
it keeps us from celebrating our successes. So the, the comparative logic goes, yes, I guess I did fine at this or that, but others could do it so much better. So it's, it's a way of like diminishing our success in our own eyes. Paul's not singing that song. He's advocating taking pride in a job well done. That middle portion of the reading, all must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbors, will be a cause for pride. So he's, he's t- tuning into the folly of comparison, but notice he's not dissing pride either. He's assuming there's a time and a place for it. He says this is like ancient wisdom, not, not fake modern piety especially when we're under stress. Unless we are blissfully oblivious narcissists, we we can readily tune into our faults, our failures, and our flaws in responding to the pressures that we're under. Uh, The pressures of pandemic have no doubt intensified our awareness of our faults, our failures, and our flaws. Hello, welcome, we're human beings. You know, like couples uh, kind of stuck together 24-7, bickering more. Well, duh. Uh, parents becoming the kind of parents they vowed not to be. I'm, I'm never going to be like this. And they're like, oh, I, I, I see my parents, the stuff I didn't want to do. I'm doing it myself. You know, I, I've noticed like, um, I, it's like I'm channeling my, my middle school self. I, I, I have periods when I have like, my insecurities are are heightened, especially in relationships. I, I think it's because of the, the the relative isolation, not having as much in-person contact with people. I've, I'm just dealing with more insecurity than I've dealt with. Um, uh, it's it's uh, you know you know it's the fried marble, my favorite little thing. You put a marble in ice water, then you drop it into boiling water, and it remains intact as a sphere, but it fractures internally along you know the predetermined molecular lines that were invisible until the added stress of that uh, sharp temperature change uh, revealed them obviously i love the fried marble metaphor to reveal our psyche but but in the middle of our inevitable cracking under pressure you know we've done some things well if you had said at the beginning of 2020 Oh, by the way, I I I, uh, I read my fortune cookie, and we're we're gonna stop meeting in person for a year and a half uh, as a church. I would have said, oh, well, that's that could be the um, end of our beautiful experiment called Blue Ocean. I I don't know how that's possible, but it's not. Um, we've worked hard to stay connected, to, to bear each other's burdens at a time when the burdens have increased and when actually offering support to others is, is more difficult to do, but we were finding ways to do it. I think we're allowed to take pride in that. Uh, from one perspective, we're, we're limping along, you know, like, wow, this is church? Whoa. But from another, it's like, wow, how are we doing this? So maybe a final thought. Perhaps between today and next Sunday, you could ask the Spirit or Sophia or Jesus or Creator or Mother or Father or yourself to show you maybe how you've actually risen to this crazy occasion, 
in some small way or surprising way or some big way, you know, like how have you done well in the midst of this? And bring that with you on Sunday too. Amen. Passing it off to Diane. All right. Thanks, Ken. And now it's time for meditation. Today our meditation is going to help us to connect with ourselves, God, others, and the wide world. So let us begin connecting with ourselves by sitting quietly with your feet on something solid to connect you to the earth. Close your eyes or have a softened gaze while we do this meditation. Sit up straight, but not stiffly and take a deep breath in through your nose and let it out slowly through your mouth. Take in another deep breath through your nose and slowly exhale through your mouth. Now focus on connecting to any sensations you're having in your feet and legs. Just notice them without judgment. Relax any tenseness. Now move your attention to your hips and belly. How are these areas feeling? Keep paying attention to your breathing while you're doing this. Move your focus up to your chest and your back. Relax your back muscles. See if you can feel your heart beating and try slowing it down by slowing your breathing. Next, move your attention up to your shoulders. What sensations do you feel here? Really concentrate on this area as many people carry tension here. Drop your shoulders and relax all of your shoulder muscles. Focus on your neck and face. Relax your jaw, mouth, and eye muscles. Even your tongue can hold tension. Now that we are in touch with our bodies, connect with your higher power, creator, Jesus, the divine, 
however you best connect to the triune God. Experience his or her love filling your awareness and reaching into every part of your body. Your creator knows you, knows your struggles as well as your joys. The creator loves every part of you. Let's sit with that for just a moment. And now take a moment to choose someone you consider to be other in this wide world of ours. See if you can connect with them in your spirit. Send some of the love you've received out of the abundance of what God has given to you and imagine the warm light of love in your heart radiating out to this person, blessing them and drawing them into God's great love. Feel the connection you have with them now. Return your attention to the divine in thankfulness. And then take another slow, deep breath in through your nose and exhale slowly through your mouth. When you're ready, slowly open your eyes and in a moment, Emily will light the candles and lead us in prayer.